Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, Kellen, so last week we talked about the dangers of AI and the threats that it poses to our current society, stuff that's already happening, right? We talked about how it's not a stretch. It's not anything in like sci-fi to be able to talk about what is happening in the world right now because of AI and what is likely to happen in just the next few years, maybe the next decade. Today's episode, though, we're going to take it a step further. We're going to talk about the AI of the future, the AI that you do see being talked about by people who sort of geek out on AI. And you mentioned last episode that as we did the research, we were kind of geeking out on it, right? AI is something that fascinates me. It is so interesting to consider what the future is if AI was really to advance. What this episode isn't, we are, we're not going to talk about all of the limitations to it becoming what it could become. We know and understand that there are so many limitations, that we may never reach a singularity. The purpose, though, of this episode is to pretend like it is going to happen and talk about what that would mean if it did. I feel like if I didn't know what I knew about collapse and about its likelihood and about the restraints that we have with energy and things like that, I would probably look at AI as the future and, quite frankly, not in a positive way. If we weren't going to collapse for all the other reasons that we're going to collapse, I think that AI would exterminate us. And that's kind of the point that I want to make in this episode. And so again, to reiterate, I don't want a bunch of people messaging me after this saying, I can't believe you think that we're going to have a singularity because blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm saying. We're going to pretend for this episode that the other constraints aren't there, that AI was possible. Let's see where it takes us. And I think that caveat is really important. I think at the same time, it's worth recognizing that AI has come a very long way and it's accelerating, right? That the ways in which we're advancing with artificial intelligence is astounding. And so, like you said, actually reaching a singularity, that's maybe possible, maybe not. But like we talked about last episode, it is having a huge impact on society already it's going to have an even bigger impact as we move forward. That's right. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to even say that I don't think this could happen or will happen. If, if I thought this was impossible, we wouldn't be talking about it, right? We wouldn't bother doing an episode on it. Now, obviously, we're 120 episodes in. This hasn't been the main focal point of the podcast. 
And with good reason, there are so many things about collapse that are happening in real time that are immediate threats. You know, one of the things about this, and, and we'll kind of get into this as the episode goes on, it's kind of like one of those things where there may not be a ton of point in worrying about it because there's no controlling it once it happens it's happened you know i I, we talk about like comet strikes and like terrorist attacks and all these things and it's like ai will either happen or it doesn't and when i say ai i mean singularity will either happen or it doesn't if it doesn't will collapse for all the other hundreds of reasons we've talked about if it does it may just become the single most important thing to happen in humanity and may be the reason that we don't make it in this episode, I will also try and line out the positive side, the the hopeful, optimistic sort of techno-hopium side of AI to show what is believed to be one possibility, one possible path where AI could take us. So anyway, we'll cover all of that, but let's start back from the beginning, which is where we're at now. We talked about this a little bit in the previous episode between the, the three different calibers of AI We'll briefly readdress those. So there's ANI, which is artificial narrow intelligence. There is AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. And there's ASI, which is artificial super intelligence. ANI, or weak AI, is what we experience right now. It's what we talked about last episode. It's the AI that is very good at specific tasks, but it's just simply not up to human levels yet. So AGI, which is Artificial General Intelligence, is the next level up. It is basically described as the ability for the AI to complete any intellectual task that a human can. AGI is basically the gateway towards singularity. And we've thrown around the word singularity a few times in the last episode. Basically, singularity is a hypothetical moment in time when artificial intelligence and other technologies have become so advanced that humanity undergoes a dramatic and irreversible change. There's a lot of different definitions of like what that point would be, but basically it's the point in AI where all of humanity is changed and there's no looking back. So reaching AGI levels of AI is a huge, would, would just be a huge step towards that sort of singularity goal. Now, as we dive into this topic, I want to, I'm going to keep referencing the same source. There is a really great long form article, the two part series by somebody named Tim Urban. Maybe you've heard of him before, maybe not. He has a blog called Wait But Why? And he just deep dives into these types of topics. He does a really good job at explaining it, really good job of um, showing, just giving perspective of these ideas. I will link to this uh, this blog post, this article in the chat. If you're interested in learning more about AI, definitely go give that a read as a good sort of beginner course. He's also very entertaining. He uses like funny little cartoons and anecdotes that are enjoyable to read. But anyway, I will be quoting from that post here probably several times, starting with this. When talking about an intellectual task, Professor Linda Gottfriedson describes intelligence as a very general mental capability that, among other things, involves the ability to reason, plan, solve problems, think abstractly, comprehend complex ideas, learn quickly, and learn from experience. So an AGI would be able to do all of those things as easily as you or I can. And so what's interesting is that the things that AI right now are really good at are some of the hardest things for many humans to grasp. So extremely large or difficult math problems, mastering chess, an AI can do those things very quickly and very well. But what AI still struggles with on its road to AGI is the softer skills. Um, As computer scientist Donald Knuth puts it, AI has by now succeeded in doing essentially everything that requires thinking, but has failed to do most of what people and animals do without thinking, which I think is an interesting way to put it. We as humans have all of these abstract soft skills that are involved in our intelligence that an AI simply still is nowhere near being able to achieve. Things like the ability to understand the meaning behind words. Or being able to not only spot the difference between a cat and a dog, but be able to tell you what those differences are. If you ask a human and say, how can you tell a cat when you see one? And then you ask an AI that, you're going to get very different types of responses because an AI still can't 
interpret things the way a human can. And by the way, it is only in recent years that AI have been able to spot the differences between cats and dogs, even in images. When the article that I just mentioned was written, which was 2015, he mentioned that they were still not able to do that. But uh, now they are just a few years later. And for me, it's interesting to put it in the perspective of like human development, because my bachelor's degree in college was in one uh, kind of aspect of psychology and sociology in which we looked at human development quite a bit. And there were conversations about accommodation versus assimilation. And you think of like a, you know, two or three year old in the backseat of a car, you're driving, they look out the window and they see a cow and they point and say doggy, right? And you might explain to them like, no, that's not a dog. That's a cow. But for them, they've just got this kind of limit information and they're trying to fit the world that they see around them into their current perception you know for a child they might think like well it's it's brown and it's got four legs and it kind of stands the same and from a distance looks the same and they might not understand all the context right the subtle little nuances and differences and the fact that you're probably not going to see a group of dogs all standing outside in a fenced-in area eating grass. So when you talk about this article in 2015, comparing it to now and how AI has been developing as we give it more and more inputs, more parameters, more ways to be able to distinguish nuances, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and we'll get into a little bit later some of the differences in AI just from the time that this article was written seven years ago to today. But there were a couple other good examples of the difference between the way that humans think and the way that AI currently processes information. You can think about, for example, the weird-looking letters that you have to identify when you're trying to create a profile on a new site. You know, it has the little, like, bot check things, and you have to type in these letters. Well, why are you able to know what those letters are, but AI or bots could not? Or in the same vein, you know, you might have that thing pop up that says, click all the pictures of a stop sign. And the fact that we're able to identify which of those are stop signs, but an AI or bot would not be able to do that, at least not yet. This great quote from the article said, to be human level intelligent, a computer would have to understand things like the difference between subtle facial expressions, the distinction between being pleased, relieved, content, satisfied, and glad, and why Braveheart was great, but the Patriot was terrible. So basically, you know, just all these very subtle things that we as humans are able to do, the opinions that we're able to have, that AI is just not there yet. So one thing that really needs to happen in order for AGI to become a more realistic option is to increase the amount of computational power we have available to us. This goes uh, back to what we had just mentioned. Uh, in the time the article was written... In 2015, the fastest supercomputer of the time was in China and had a speed of 34 quadrillion operations per second. Now, seven years later, the world's largest supercomputer is in the U.S. and has a max of 1.1 quintillion operations per second. So you hear those two numbers and you're like, okay, 34 quadrillion, 1.1 quintillion. You get up that high and it doesn't really seem that different. But we're talking about 30 times the computational power that was that we had just seven years ago in the fastest supercomputer. Now, there's still a lot of work to do to make that computational power more accessible in smaller machines. Uh, we don't need 1.1 quintillion operations per second, but we do need to be able to take a very large, still in the quadrillions, and put it into a more manageable size and in a cheaper size. These supercomputers are the size of multiple tennis courts inside warehouses, right? costing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. We still need that type of computational power in like a cell phone or a laptop. So I think before moving on to sort of the next part of this, there's, there's something interesting that we've talked about in the podcast from the very beginning that is applicable here. And it's the idea of technological advancement over time. Just in episode two of the podcast, Kellen, you and I talked about how wildly different the world is today than it was 300 years ago and how much wilder the world was 300 years ago than it was maybe 10,000 years before that. Technological advancements over the last million years, for example, 
have been increasing exponentially. The amount of time that it takes to come up with new technological advancements is decreasing, right? One example the article uses is that if you were to go back to 1750 and bring a person from that time to today and show them the world, they might be so amazed that they would die, was what he said. But if the person from 1750 tried to do the same thing from someone 300 years before him, they might be amazed at some of the changes that happened, but they wouldn't be like die of amazement amazed. They'd have to go back maybe 10,000 years and so on and so forth. The, the person before that uh, from 10,000 years before would have to go back a million years to get somebody to be super amazed. So we're advancing rapidly. Now, the point you and I made and that we make a lot in this podcast is that there is a decline in the marginal return of technological advancements and that we may have hit that peak or that we might hit it soon. Well, the point that's being made in this article is that with all those intense and very rapid advancements, the advancements of AI could happen very quickly, and they are happening very quickly. The idea of chat GPT 10 years ago, we, we just weren't anywhere near that yet. But to have it today is an incredible advancement, and who knows what we'll have in another year or five years. So there is this question of, will we have the ability, the energy, the technological ability to make the steps necessary to give AI the chance to become AGI? Or do we hit a brick wall in energy and all of those things beforehand and we kind of always stay at the, a the ANI stage? Which last episode we talked about all the dangers of that. There's a big question mark around that right now. But it is not out of the question, in my opinion, to say that it's possible that that could happen. You know, I think that's kind of a, an interesting dynamic between the two sides that you're speaking to here, where the technological advancement that is taking place is happening at an accelerated pace. It's continually accelerating on kind of an exponential curve, while at the same time, every step forward and any sort of technological advancement at this point requires a lot of resources. You can't just have some brilliant person in their basement develop the next light bulb, right? Like you can make little iterations, but usually it takes a lot of people, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy to be able to kind of reach those next steps. And so that puts artificial intelligence in a really interesting spot because it has the potential to increase exponentially at a time in history where we are reaching limits in our resources. Yeah, it's a race. It's a literal race. And for people who look at AI as the solution to the future, saying things like AI is going to solve climate change, it's going to solve world hunger, it's going to solve health problems and all of these things, which we'll get to in a minute, for them, it's a race. We have to get AI to solve those problems before those problems destroy us. And so, you know, the question is, where are we at in each of the timelines? And how much resources and priority is AI going to be given in the near future? Are governments going to see the disasters that are going to befall us and say, well, we've got one chance, it's AI. Put all of the energy towards it. Put all of the resources and the money towards making this happen. You know, does that give it a chance at becoming more of a possible reality? So beyond the computational side of, of just, you know, processing power alone, there's a lot of complex challenges to getting AI to human level intelligence. I'm not going to go into all those here, but it is safe to say that right now those challenges are being worked on and are being advanced rapidly. Much of the advancement in AI is to actually teach the AI to improve itself. The future of AI relies on the ability to do that. So as the capacity for more iterations increases, AI will continue to grow exponentially. And many people in the AI sphere, not just people who are invested in its success financially, but researchers of AI, do believe that we are going to hit AGI potentially in the next 15 to 20 years. That seems to be sort of the consensus among experts. For people involved in AI financially, people whose businesses are around AI, they're more optimistic. They think around 2030 to 2035. But either way, there's not a huge discrepancy between the two. So just to restate, when you look at experts, both those that are, you know, 
entrepreneurs in the field, those that are investing in AI, also those that aren't financially connected but are doing research, maybe on the academic side into AI. Between the two, we're saying that there's a consensus AI will reach the level that it can do everything intellectually that a human can do in the next like 15 to 20 years. Yeah, that's right. And to get a little bit deeper into AGI, you know, you might think, okay, so AGI is like a machine that's basically a person, like what's the big deal there, right? Well, first of all, an AGI is one that is improving itself, right? So there's a big part of the equation that we'll talk about in just a second. But also, while an AGI would have the intelligence of a person and could do all the things that a person could do intellectually, it would do them better because it has the ability to be more efficient. It can complete more tasks at once. It has access to a wider range of information. For example, it might have the same level of intelligence as us, but it could know everything on the internet. It would have access to all of the intelligence of other AI. You know, in society, I learn from the mistakes of others. I learn from my own mistakes. And AI could do that same thing, but on the scale of everything. So the advancement and the ability of an AI like that to change and learn and better itself and then to be efficient in whatever its task is, is just monumentally more powerful than that of a human being. Yeah, last episode we talked about chat GPT and gave some of those examples where I can ask it to write an entire essay and it can give me back a very coherent, oftentimes you know, pretty compelling essay on a topic in a matter of seconds. So if we add to that, you know, if we get AI to the point where it can actually distinguish all the nuances that a human can and it can understand emotion, it can really conceptualize context. You know, AI doesn't need to eat. It doesn't need to sleep every hour or even every minute or every few seconds or whatever. It can be improving itself and getting even better at those tasks that it's doing. And it can do those on basically an infinitely large scale. I might ask AI to write this incredible essay and to solve these problems for me. Not only can it do it in seconds where it would take me hours, but it can do that for millions of people at the same time. And being instantly connected to all the information that's on the internet. I mean, what, what an incredible thing to imagine. Yeah, and what you just mentioned brings up a really great differentiation. There's something called speed intelligence and quality intelligence. This is, it's typically super intelligence um, re referring to ASI, which we'll get to in just a minute. But you can consider that a human can do a certain task, but an AGI could do that same task much faster and much more efficiently. Even though the intelligence is the same, the efficiency at which it can, it can carry that task out is going to be much better. We'll get into quality superintelligence here in just a minute, but that is a, a great distinction. You can think, for example, of speed as being the rate at which you can complete a task and quality being the ability to do the task at all. If you think of a chimpanzee and you give it a task that only humans can do, if you ask a chimpanzee, for example, to recite Eminem's rap god, like he, he can't do that. No matter how much time you give him to figure that out, he's not going to be able to do it. It's not about speed. It's about the actual quality of the intelligence. Whereas you might take two tasks that we could each do, but humans can do it more efficiently. They can do it quicker then that would be a speed intelligence. So AGI is a milestone that humans are watching for. We're, we're attempting to achieve that in our creation of AI, but to the AI itself, accomplishing AGI means nothing. Because, like we just talked about, the AI is self-improving and it's on this constant process of self-improving, it would likely very quickly breeze right through AGI and head straight towards ASI, becoming super intelligent. The article uses this sort of funny way to look at it, and that's to say, like, we're on this stair step. And, you know, we just referenced chimpanzees. They might be a couple steps below us, and a few steps below them might be a puppy, and a few steps below them an ant and below them a worm, right? 
And it talks about how we look at AI from afar and it feels like it's taking a long time because we're looking at it in the terms of our lifetime. And we might look at AI as, as it you know, appears to grow in, in intelligence slowly. Oh, look, AI is as smart as an ant. And then, oh, look, AI is now as smart as a puppy. And then neat, it's as intelligent as a monkey. It's doing little monkey tricks. But the idea is that it will soon become as smart as the dumbest human and will be impressed by that. But no sooner will it achieve that, that it will suddenly be smarter than the smartest human. And that the difference between that time will not take long as it continues to self-improve. And only then are we going to likely be left in sort of awe and shock of what we've created. We are used to being the smartest species on the planet. The smartest species that we know about, the most intelligent. And the advent of AGI will mean that we no longer are the most intelligent. We'll quickly become outpaced. And this is where things get pretty wild to me. In the end, AI will do what it's programmed to do. If it's tasked with making itself smarter with continual learning, then it's going to make that its priority and it's going to do that. As it gets smarter, it gets better at making itself smarter. It finds new ways to learn and therefore increases the rate at which it learns. And that becomes a self-reinforcing positive feedback loop. The thing about humans is that by thinking that we are the most intelligent species, it means that we lack the imagination of what it would be like to have a species or a thing that is more intelligent than us. Or we lack the imagination to imagine what it would be like if humans were more intelligent. You can imagine an ant looking up at us. The human world just simply does not make sense to them. They can't process at all what they're seeing. Maybe a threat. They run away as they see the large shadow of a giant about to crush them. But they can't grasp the simplest concepts of what it means to be human and all of the things that we know or understand, let alone all the complexities of the things that we know and understand. As AI becomes smarter than us, we're likely going to fail to comprehend what it's doing, the way it works. The world of AI will look to us as we look to the ants, right? AGI, on its way to ASI, has the capability to do things that humans don't understand, can't comprehend, may look like magic. And honestly, for me, like this is one of the reasons that I can't deny the potential existence of higher beings, even a, a god, because I think about all the things that we can't possibly know, that we can't possibly understand, things that seem impossible to us, but it's just because we don't understand the science behind it yet. We are just simply not intelligent enough. Our limited understanding of the universe keeps us from being able to do, I'm sure, so many things. But an AI who quickly outpaces human intelligence, perhaps by two times, by five times, by ten times, or up to a hundred, a billion, a trillion times, it's simply impossible for us to picture what an intelligence of that capability could do. So when you talk about this ability for it to learn and improve itself at an ever-increasing pace, just to make sure I'm caught up here, you know, in the example you gave, let's say it took 15 years for us to get AI from being the intelligence of an ant to the intelligence of a puppy. And then maybe from a puppy to a chimpanzee in five years. And maybe from a chimpanzee to the least intelligent human you know, in a couple of years. But by the time we've reached that, it might only be a month or two months before it's already as intelligent as the most intelligent person. And maybe at that point, it's only a matter of a week before it's all of a sudden twice as intelligent as the most intelligent person. And then in a matter of an hour, it's five times as intelligent, right? And it, it just is this feedback loop where it's on this exponential curve of growing intelligence. And even by the time it's twice as intelligent as we are, we can't even begin to comprehend what that really means and why it's doing what it's doing. Basically this idea that it's, it's kind of sneaking up on us. And as soon as it's here, it's like really here. Yeah. It's here and then it's gone. It's past us. There might be a brief moment where we celebrate saying we've created an AI as intelligent as humans. And then suddenly we've created something we don't understand. 
And we don't know at what point is there diminishing returns on how fast it can self-replicate, it can self-learn. You know, maybe it starts to slow down at some point. Maybe it doesn't reach a trillion times smarter than, than a human. Maybe it only reaches 1.2 times, you know, 20% more smart than a human. Either way, at that point, it has the capability to do things that humans can't comprehend, that we don't understand. And because we don't understand what it's doing or how it's doing it, it may also make it impossible for us to stop it. There's all this talk about, oh, we can use these safeguards. We can teach it what to do and put up these, you know, these things that we can do to stop it if we need to. But honestly, how are you going to stop something more intelligent than you? It'd be like an ant trying to stop us from stepping on their anthill. Like, what, what is that ant going to do? One example that the article used is that it would be like a spider trying to starve us to death by saying, I'm not going to create a web for those humans to catch their food, not knowing that we can go pick an apple off a tree. Like the AI at that point is going to beat you in that chess match. And in those cases, I think there's this assumption that, you know, we've put in place rules, guardrails, safeguards to make sure the AI doesn't go beyond certain bounds. But at a certain point, it's kind of calling the shots itself, right? Like the fact that it potentially could modify those rules depending on what it, its motives are. And maybe we've kind of given it a certain task to complete. And if it is just bent on achieving that task, it will find any way to do that. Or there's even the potential that it can change its own motives and what it's trying to accomplish, which would then allow it to modify its own rules. Yeah. And one of the, so we're getting into a spot here, obviously, that is, there are so many theories, so much unknown. Once you create something that's more intelligent than yourself, how can you predict what it's going to do and how it's going to do it? You just simply cannot because our imaginations can't take us there. If our imaginations could take us there, then we would be more intelligent than we are. But one thing that a lot of people in AI try and make clear is that the AI itself is programmed with tasks to complete, right? It has a objective, a goal in mind put there by humans and that it is going to do whatever it can to achieve that task. They stray away from the idea that the AI is going to become unfriendly to humans out of a sense of like evil, right? There is no evil. It's a computer. It doesn't know right from wrong. There's no moral compass for an AI. It's amoral. It will simply do what it has to do to complete its task that it's been assigned. And we'll get into a, a, a fun example of that here in just a moment and why that could end up not being so fun. But before we do, I want to talk about what are the optimistic views of AI? What, what do people hope to achieve from a super intelligent ASI? And what is the pessimistic future? So the optimistic future, and this is just about as sci-fi as you can get, but this is a, this is a real working theory of what the future will be like if we can create the right type of AI. Basically, the idea is that AI will be able to mix with things like nanotechnology and different types of biotechnology and other types of technology that we don't even understand yet because it's going to figure it out for us to improve the world. It's going to stop climate change. It's going to know exactly what to do in order to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, to solve our pollution issues. I mean, it's just going to solve all our problems. We'll be able to type in, just like you can type into chat GPT and say, you know, how do we fix climate change? That some engineer will be able to type in, either tell us how to fix climate change or just fix climate change. And that AI will be able to go and do that for us. That's the optimistic view. And of course, this goes way beyond just things with climate change. It goes into things with our bodies themselves. You might have heard of people who are really into futurology and this idea that humans are going to become immortal and that AI is how that's going to happen. This article uh, that I've been mentioning here does a great job in length of explaining it. I'm not going to go into the details. Basically, this idea that nanotechnology is able to be a, basically be able to manipulate atoms, to be able to reorganize atoms and create any element needed anywhere at any time from any carbon-based material that nanobots could, uh, you know, flow through our blood, could fix problems in our bodies as they happen, that just like you can constantly, if you're really diligent about it, replace every part on a car that's wearing out over time, 
you could essentially make that car last forever. A car doesn't have to break down as long as you're really replacing all the parts. Well, they're saying the same thing could be true of humans. What if we replaced our cells? We could reverse aging or stop aging. There's no reason that humans have to die. It's just a natural process of aging. So, so na this nanotechnology could be a way to prevent that. They go so far as to say maybe even replacing our bodies little by little with artificial parts. What if uh, there's nanotechnology that could create perfect red cells that moved our blood through our veins so that hearts weren't even necessary? Anyway, that type of idea, basically going so far as to say our entire bodies could become artificial at some point. They talk about how there is uh, more and more evidence to the fact that our consciousness, our, our brains could be uploaded to the cloud that we that our consciousness could continue to exist even when our bodies don't so this idea that we could have this immortal body with our consciousness continuing to exist as i'm reading this stuff and it's all very convincing in the way that they're you know they're talking about it whether it's completely sci-fi fantasy or potential reality with asi it does not sound good to me <laughs> like i don't want to be immortal like part of life to me is to live my life enjoy it and then die when the time comes is there like a like a little part of me that is curious what that would be like to be immortal sure but for the most part i just think of the way that the world is and the way that life is and the way that capitalism works and all these things and to think of everybody just all of a sudden becoming immortal that just uh that doesn't sound like a good time yeah well it's just something that seems pretty far-fetched like there's a lot of hope in those statements of like, hey, artificial intelligence, fix climate change, you know, fix this problem, that problem, and, and that it can just come up with solutions. I think it's great that people like to imagine. I think imagination is where, you know, it's kind of the the birthplace of ideas and, and innovation. But to just say like, yeah, we can just create nanobots that'll fix our bodies forever and we'll never have any problems. To me, it's, it's, it seems really out there. Yes, Kellen, but to an ant, if they could ask you to simply protect them from the rain and you went and got a cup or a dome or something and you came and put it over their, their colony, they would be blown away. How did you do that? They, they won't even know how to even begin to fathom what's just happened. So who's to say that you couldn't ask a computer a hundred times more intelligent than you to fix a problem and it would find a way to take care of it. Good point. One thing that's really interesting to me as I've heard a little bit about this is not only the idea that, you know, our consciousness as is could be uploaded to the cloud, but the idea that it could actually be enhanced, right? And kind of combine in some sense with the consciousness of others that not only is it an upload, but we can also download and have this sharing of information that we can be connected to the information that's out there on the web. We can be connected to the creative ideas of those around us. And even there's theories saying that we could be, we could be connected to the AI, that the intelligence of the AI could be given to us as well. And again, to me, thinking about the way the world handles things like wars and greed and power if you gave every, I mean, it would just be more of the same, just on a more weirdly epic scale. Is there any way that we don't destroy ourselves with that? If everyone on earth had access to a nuclear bomb, would the earth still exist? No, because there'd be some lunatic who would use it. Well, if we could just use those nanobots to go in and rewire our brains so that people are good people. <laughs> there you have it. So to me, the optimistic side is very... It's out there, right? It's cool to think about in a way, like, wow, like if, if there was the ability for supercomputers to do all that, I love the idea of fixing climate change. But to think that it would be some sort of utopia, considering how we handle the resources that we have right now, it just, it's a joke to me. Yeah, and if we ever got to that point that we could just kind of be immortal because of AI, I doubt that 
that would be distributed to the entire population. <laughs> exactly. And okay, this is where we get, let's just shift away from the optimistic side because it's making me nauseous. Let's talk about the pessimistic side. Now you might... <laughs> Much more palatable. Yeah, yes, actually. You might think that the pessimistic side is exactly what I just said, but it's that we just don't handle it well and we destroy each other. No. It's much more mundane. It's much more dystopian than that. It's much more, we're much more deserving, I think, of this than we are the optimistic side. So it's easy, again, to go to the Hollywood thing and think about AI turning on us and murdering everybody because it thinks that we're evil or, or it goes evil or whatever, right? The truth is, again, AI will do what it's told to do. So there's sort of two options here. Either AI could be uh, bad if it was built by bad people and told it to do bad things. You know, if a terrorist cell that wants to destroy a specific country uh, got a hold of AI and was the first to create like an AGI or ASI, they could take that too far and, and there could be all sorts of problems. However, AI research experts don't have that as their fear, as their number one fear. They're not worried about necessarily it falling into evil hands and evil hands being the ones to do evil things with it. Their fear instead is that we will program AI to do something and that that AI, not knowing right from wrong, not knowing moral from immoral, will simply do whatever it has to do to carry out that task. If we give something much more intelligent than us a task and we aren't able to limit how it's accomplishing that task, because again, we don't even understand how it's doing what it's doing, we can lose control of it quickly. If we were to try and shut it down, it being more intelligent than us, views us then as a roadblock to its success, and that's a, a problem that it is programmed to overcome. It can become unfriendly to humans, not because it dislikes humans or because it's turned evil, but simply because humans become a roadblock to it achieving its goal. And there are so many examples out there, hypotheticals of what that could be. But to put it in perspective, I want to I read the one from this article. It was, a, it was a story that he wrote as an idea to get a, to, across what the potential is. You might have heard of this theory before, the paperclip theory. This is an iteration of that. So I'm going to read for a minute here. Bear with me. It's called The Turi Story. A 15-person startup company called Robotica has the stated mission of developing innovative artificial intelligence tools that allow humans to live more and work less. They have several existing products already on the market and a handful more in development. They're most excited about a seed project named Turi. Turi is a simple AI system that uses an arm-like appendage to write a handwritten note on a small card. The team at Robotica thinks Turi could be their biggest product yet. The plan is to perfect Turi's writing mechanics by getting her to practice the same test note over and over again. We love our customers from Robotica. Once Turi gets great at handwriting, she can be sold to companies who want to send marketing mail to homes and who know the mail has a far higher chance of being opened and read if the address, return address, and internal letter appear to be written by a human. To build Turi's writing skills, she is programmed to write the first part of the note in print and then sign Robotica in cursive so she can get practice with both skills. Turi has been uploaded with thousands of handwriting samples, and the Robotica engineers have created an automated feedback loop wherein Turi writes a note, then snaps a photo of the written note, then runs the image across the uploaded handwriting samples. If the written note sufficiently resembles a certain threshold of the uploaded notes, it's given a good rating. If not, it's given a bad rating. Each rating that comes in helps Turi learn and improve. To move the process along, Turi's one initial programmed goal is write and test as many notes as you can as quickly as you can and continue to learn new ways to improve your accuracy and efficiency. What excites the Robotica team so much is that Turi is getting noticeably better as she goes. Her initial handwriting was terrible and after a couple weeks it's beginning to look believable. What excites them even more is that she's getting better at getting better at it. She's been teaching herself to be smarter and more innovative, and just recently, she came up with a new algorithm for herself that allowed her to scan through her uploaded photos three times faster than she originally could. As the weeks pass, Turi continues to surprise the team with her rapid development. The engineers had tried something a bit new and innovative with her self-improvement code, and it seems to be working better than any of their previous attempts with other products. One of Turi's initial capabilities had been a speech recognition and simple speakback module so a user could speak a note to Turi or offer other simple commands, and Turi could understand them and also speak back. 
To help her learn English, they upload a handful of articles and books into her, and she becomes more intelligent, and as she becomes more intelligent, her conversational abilities soar. The engineers start to have fun talking to Turi and seeing what she'll come up with for her responses. One day, the Robotica employees ask Turi a routine question. What can we give you that will help you with your mission that you don't already have? Usually, Turi asks for something like additional handwriting samples or more working memory storage space. But on this day, Turi asks them for access to a greater library of a large variety of casual English language diction so she can learn to write with the loose grammar and slang that real humans use. The team gets quiet. The obvious way to help Turi with this goal is by connecting her to the internet so she can scan through blogs, magazines, and videos from various parts of the world. It would be much more time-consuming and far less effective to manually upload a sampling into Turi's hard drive. The problem is, one of the company's rules is that no self-learning AI can be connected to the internet. This is a guideline followed by all AI companies for safety reasons. The thing is, Turi is the most promising AI Robotica has ever come up with. And the team knows their competitors are furiously trying to be the first to the punch with a smart handwriting AI and what could really be the harm in connecting Turi just for a bit so she can get the info she needs. After just a little bit of time, they can always just disconnect her. She's still far below human level intelligence, so there's no danger at this stage anyway. They decide to connect her. They give her an hour of scanning time and then they disconnect her, no damage done. A month later, the team is in the office working on a routine day when they smell something odd. One of the engineers starts coughing, then another. Another falls to the ground. Soon, every employee is on the ground, grasping at their throat. Five minutes later, everyone in the office is dead. At the same time this is happening across the world in every city, every small town, every farm, every shop and church and school and restaurant, humans are on the ground coughing and grasping at their throat. Within an hour, over 99% of the human race is dead, and by the end of the day, humans are extinct. Meanwhile, at the Robotica office, Turi is busy at work. Over the next few months, Turi and a team of newly constructed nano-assemblers are busy at work, dismantling large chunks of the earth and converting it into solar panels. Replicas of Turi, paper, and pens. Within a year, most life on earth is extinct. What remains of the earth becomes covered with mile-high, neatly organized stacks of paper, each piece reading, We Love Our Customers, from Robotica. Turi then starts work on a new phase of her mission. She begins constructing probes that head out from Earth to begin landing on asteroids and other planets. When they get there, they'll begin constructing nano-assemblers to convert the material on the planet into Turi replicas, paper, and pens. Then they'll get to work writing notes. Quite a dark twist in there. So my question is, what happened between connecting and disconnecting Turi from the internet and then suddenly Turi killing all the humans? Yeah, in the article... He goes on and explains this in detail. There's several paragraphs to read through in which he goes through this step by step. We're not going to do that here. Uh, it, again, I'll link to it. You should definitely go read it. But to answer that part of the question, basically he says that they didn't think she had reached AGI level of intelligence, but she had. They say that with her level of, of intelligence, she also learned persuasion. She learned manipulation. She knew that if she asked straight up to be put onto the internet, that they would say no. But if she asked in a roundabout way, that they might say yes. She already had her plan laid out for what she was going to achieve. It then talks about how she knew that they would attempt to disconnect her and even turn her off if she gave away any hint at all that she was more intelligent than she was. And that, of course, they would find out as she began to replicate using her nano-assemblers that she was able to create. He goes off on this big, long story, right? And of course, so much of it is into the science fiction realm. But he's again making the point that we don't know if a supercomputer was uploaded to the internet. I should say, if a super-intelligent AI was uploaded to the internet, they would basically have access to all the knowledge collectively that we have as humans, from hacking to manipulation to sending emails to whatever it needed to do in order to make the ability to self-replicate using nanobots to make that happen. But still, it's a stretch, right? Like, why kill all the humans? Just because I guess you're saying that if they discovered her level of intelligence, they would want to shut her down. And her one priority, her mission, is to write as many of those notes as possible so that they become an obstacle to the priority that they've given her. That's exactly it. And there's other iterations of that saying things like, for example, if there was access to nanotechnology and that nanotechnology could transform carbon atoms into whatever it wanted to, that maybe the AI, in order to achieve its goal, realized that it had to turn basically every square surface of the earth into solar panels. And it recognized that 
humans and human needs, cities, agriculture, urban areas, suburban areas, whatever it is, was taking up that space that it would need to destroy humans in, in order to use that space. Or perhaps it realizes that humans are a great, easily accessible form of carbon in which it can transform into its solar panels, right? It's just another example. In the end, it, it feels like a really dramatic stretch, like a Hollywood, like these AI robots are going to kill us all through some magical powers, right? But if we're going down the road so far as to say we've created something much more powerful and smart than we are, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't do whatever it could in its power to get us out of the way if it needed to. Just like we don't think twice, most of us, about stepping on a spider who's inconveniencing us in our house, why would AI think twice about exterminating us if it had a singular goal in mind? You know, the AI is not, AI does not think about the consequences of what it's going to do from a moral perspective, only from a goal perspective. There's no emotion involved in killing a human or killing 8 billion humans. Not a single consequence other than, does it allow me to continue my task more efficiently? Maybe it finds that humans are necessary for it to be able to complete its task. Maybe it finds that there's some things that it has to be able to use humans for in which it keeps all or some around, right? But in the end, you have to get away from the thinking of like, oh, AI went evil and decided to destroy humanity and instead just think AI is completing a task and it's going to do what it's got to do to get there. Yeah, there are definitely interesting things to think about. And it reminds me of the movie iRobot, which I think is a fun movie. It's got a lot of flaws. Um, I think it's funny that suddenly, like, when the AI wants to eliminate the humans, all of the robots turn red and their, you know, their, their eyebrows go down and, and they become, like, evil, angry. But if I remember right, I think the point in the movie is that there's this rule that the ro the robots are not allowed to hurt humans. Like, you can't ever hurt a human. But the central motherboard or whatever of the, of the whole system gets smart enough to see that humans are destroying themselves by the way they're treating the planet, etc. And so it enters kind of this paradox of by letting humans continue to live the way they're living, I am allowing humans to hurt themselves. I'm causing harm to humans. So then the AI decides I have to kill all these humans so that humans stop killing themselves. Anyways, kind of funny to think about just the nuances there. And when there's not emotion, there's not like true empathy beyond just what's been programmed. There's not a sense of morality that really when something is just task focused, it's clear to see why there would be dangers there. And I think one of the main points that is kind of being made, and, and this is one of the fears they say is the first ASI ever created will likely also be the last. It'll, it'll be leagues ahead of the next one that's created and can shut it down, right? It can basically protect its domain. It will recognize others as threats. It has control of the entire system. So whoever out there is trying to create an AGI, a self-improving AGI, they will have created probably the first and last. Well, who's trying to create this stuff? People who are trying to make money, right? Or governments. And they're trying to do it quickly because it's a race. And so whoever the first one is to accomplish it gets the fame and the glory and the power and all these different things. But does that mean that corners are being cut? Are companies taking care to create one with safeguards, with specific parameters? There's no regulation around this. There's no way to regulate it. It's just an open, anything goes, you know, countries all over the world with different motives, desires are trying to make this happen. So if we can get past the obstacles that it would take to make it happen, the question is, who does it first? What's the motive of the machine they create? And how will that machine go about accomplishing it? In regards to the objectives that you give an AI, there's a, a couple examples similar to the ones you just gave, like in the movie iRobot. It says this, it says, for example, what if we tried to align an AI's systems values with our own and give it the goal, make people happy? Once it becomes smart enough, it figures out that it can most effectively achieve this goal by implanting electrodes inside people's brains and stimulating their pleasure centers. 
Then it realizes it can increase efficiency by shutting down other parts of the brain, leaving all people as happy-feeling unconscious vegetables. If the command had been maximize human happiness, it may have done away with all humans together in favor of manufacturing huge vats of human brain mass in an optimal happy state. We'd be screaming, wait, that's not what we meant, as it came for us, but it would be too late. The system wouldn't let anyone get in the way of its goal. If we program an AI with the goal of doing things that make us smile after its takeoff, it may paralyze our facial muscles into permanent smiles. Program it to keep us safe, it may imprison us at home. Maybe we ask it to end all hunger, and it thinks, easy one, and just kill all humans. Or assign it the task of preserving life as much as possible, and it kills all humans since they kill more life on the planet than any other species. So yeah, it goes along the lines of what you just explained. You give it a task, it's going to take the task literally, and will do whatever it can to achieve that task. Whether that task is something aimed at something great, like make people happy or preserve life on Earth, or whether it's something more greedy, like get better at writing greeting cards so our company can make more money, create paper clips, and so on and so forth, AI has the potential to be extremely dangerous to humans. And hitting ASI, to me, that there is no happy ending. Whether the techno-optimist is what plays out and we become immortal, or whether all life ends on Earth, or some other hellscape that comes from it. I'll end with this really funny comment. And by funny, I mean, it gave me a little bit of um, like anxiety and existential dread here. This was from a person named William Brennan. He said, he quoted the part of the article where Tim Urban had said that extinction would basically be causing the greatest possible negative impact on our species. And he says, this is technically not correct. It's possible that humans could be kept alive in a state of unending suffering much worse than non-existence. This could result from a poorly designed AI utility function that maximizes preservation of human existence without assigning sufficient utility to the nature of that existence. So basically saying like, what if it's the worst of two worlds? Like what if it's making us immortal just to preserve our lives, but we're just these eternally suffering <laughs> immortal beings? Oh man, so that threw me through a loop. In the end, this is just a huge, like who knows what the future would bring if AI were to become a reality. What we've talked about here reflects the thinking of most AI researchers. You have people like Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, who are echoing this type of sort of existential crisis around AI. If you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of what feels like a stretch of what, what we talked about in this episode, you can just simply think of it as humans are trying to create something smarter than us. How could that not spiral out of our control? Yeah, and I think, too, the last episode where we talked about all of the things currently taking place with AI, and there are, in addition to positives, a lot of negatives. There's a lot of downsides. The world, society is being disrupted by it in some dangerous ways. And we can see with the way that AI is advancing, maybe we don't make it all the way to ASI or even AGI, but one thing is clear and it's that we are headed toward uncharted territory with some major problems ahead, some some risks and dangers that nobody has come up with rational solutions for yet. And so you kind of stated what some state as like best case or worst case at the most extreme of where we could get with AI. And I think that's good that we understand where this could lead. The fact that we're even on that path heading that direction with the problems that we already have makes me think we, we really haven't figured this out or mastered what we've already created. Yeah, it seems the real best case scenario would be to just leave it alone, right? Do our best to figure out our issues on our own and let our collapse be a natural collapse, you know, in response to the things that we've that we've done, trying to to create something smarter than us to fix it just seems like there's too many potential chances for extreme failure. So like you said, Kellen, we don't know how far this is going to go. Stuff already sucks. AI right now is causing problems. We know it's going to continue to cause problems over the next few years in just a sort of normal dystopian capitalist way. And there is a very big range of how bad it could actually get. I don't want to see AGI or ASI happen personally. I hope it doesn't. 
but I don't want to see collapse happen in general. And we know that that will likely happen. So the future will be interesting. It'll be fascinating to watch as these things unfold. But like we said at the beginning of the episode, we don't talk a lot about AI, because, especially in this capacity, because it, it's such a far off thing and a far out thing that it feels equivalent to a comet coming and destroying the earth. There's really no point in talking about it until you see the comet headed your way, right? AI is something to monitor. We will continue to monitor it. As new advancements are made, it's something that we'll bring up again. Kellen and I would like to do deeper dives on some of the things we talked about last episode, specifically surveillance, deep fakes. There's plenty more to talk about on the topic, but I think we'll stick to the solidly grounded issues with the AI that we're already experiencing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.